0: And broadcasting live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm uh, your host, Nick Gieber. Great to be with you today. Today, we're going to focus our attention on a certain club in Manchester uh, that's not the back-to-back Premier League title holders, uh, that was, up until 2013, uh, the most dominant team in the English Premier League. Since its inception and talking about the inception of the Premier League, not the inception of football in England, obviously, Uh, we're going to talk Manchester United football and no one better to talk about United with than uh, Phil Brown from beyond the pitch. Phil is a highly influential voice amongst Manchester United supporters and uh, has his opinions about the situations at Old Trafford. and, And I might just add this look. For those of you that know me, I'm a Liverpool supporter for many, many, many years. And Liverpool, Man United, no love lost between them. However, you have to be able to try to look at this objectively. The same way that I love my club, United supporters love their club, not just uh, football. It uh, could be American football or basketball or whatever it is. If you're a dyed, uh, true blue fan of your club, uh, your passion, your club is like a family. To you member of the family, to you, and when that member of the family is not well, uh it creates a lot of problems and and this may sound like a overreaction, but it, it's really what it's like and the troubles at United since two thousand and thirteen are, are are really have really come to the forefront, but many would say those troubles started in two thousand five phil's going to fill you in tell you about let's talk a little united. Let's talk United on the pitch this season, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Paul Pogba, and let's talk the boardroom, Uh, Ed Woodward, the Glazers. What are some of the problems at United? Where is this club going, and what do you have to look forward to? Look, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nick NickGebra, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. And, of course, you can find this show at Fifth Street Sports as well on Twitter. Uh, You will be hearing from Phil Brown uh, right after the break. Just a reminder, I'm with you Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, that's daily, right here on Sports Byline, on American Forces, and also on our digital platforms, whether that's iHeartRadio, in, the award-winning SiriusXM app. And finally, a big hello to our men and women in uniform around the world, uh, listening courtesy of the American Forces Network. All right, I'm going to step aside be right back with Phil Brown. Welcome back to the show, Fifth Street Soccer, here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also broadcasting live on Sirius XM 211. Dan Patrick Sports, well, unsurprisingly... I am not Dan Patrick, so I'm sorry to disappoint those of you that were expecting Dan. I'm Nick Gieber, and of course, the topic is the beautiful game on this show, as it is each and every weekday from 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 Eastern, and that would be Monday through Friday. All right, well, look, I promised in the open that we were going to talk to one of our most popular guests on the show, and I'm very pleased to welcome to the show uh, Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch. Let's talk some Manchester United, Phil. Uh, You must be a very... Very happy man today,
1: I sure am a uh, complete contrast from my emotions two weeks ago at uh, that just tells you everything about this bipolar football team
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but yes, bipolar indeed um you know i i think phil let's let's start off with the discussion of. Uh, well, first of all, what what a what a great result! And uh, to go to uh, the Etihad to get the win, and and quite honestly, to find a City team that is approaching the end of the Pep era uh, clearly, um, uh, to deliver the coup de grace in a a massive derby like that was really an incredible result and I think uh, certainly ones that got the odds caught the odds makers off guard I I think United uh, on the money line were uh, I want to say they were something like plus 450 or plus 500 for that game they were vast underdogs but a great performance nevertheless Uh, it seems to me Phil that the player's are uh, understanding the system that OGS wants them to play, uh, understanding their roles, and it just seems to me that the panic level in the United squad uh, is down a fair amount. And I wonder, Phil, how much of that is to the fact that Pogba has been there, for has now had such an extended absence that the players and the system has now adapted without him?
1: Well, <laughs> Pogba's an interesting one because... Um, Clearly, United's most high-profile player. Clearly, their most technically gifted player. Um, the one player that genuinely could lead Manchester United and go to almost any club in the world. But um, if I'm Paul Pogba's agent, if I'm Paul Pogba, uh, if I'm someone that's scared now I would be concerned that both Mourinho and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have a higher win have a higher win percentage without him than they have with him. Um, you know, the the six games that he played this season, United won one of them. Uh, so. It's not like United you know, are waiting for him to come back and he's going to make a massive difference to what's happening at this football club. That being said, I still think an unformed Paul Pogba has a place at Manchester United. I think um, you see what you see against Manchester City is what we saw when Solskjaer first came in. United you know, sat the attack with PS precision on the counter-attack and they they uh, were beating very, very good teams in the early in the early times of Solskjaer, but that started to taper off and uh, really after PSG. And so um, what when we talk about finding their feet in the system, um, these players already found their feet. They lost their way and now they've refound really it. But I think what you're seeing, Nick, is it doesn't take much for this United team to look misjoint, disjointed because it's very easy to look bad at this United team because the players that they have are a mishmash from Van Hal from Mourinho, yep. to all of them play very different ways. Um, you never really committed to any of those managers. So when you're playing people like Andres Pereira and Fred in midfield, that's not a midfield, that's two players that can play midfield. But when you play Fred with Potomini, where there's tactical discipline, where there's you know, there, there's a whole different dynamic in midfield, then you see two, two, two different players. And um, I think for United fans, the, the emergence of Fred as a legitimate midfielder has been as pleasing as anything else because we've sat for scratching our head, fifty two million. How did this guy get in the Brazil national team? Because proud of this, he looked horrendous.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. But The point I was trying to make uh wasn't so much about Pogba's impact in the team. Mm. It was about the uh, the concept of Pogba in the team. In other words, when you sign a player like mm-hmm. Pogba, you have a system in mind, you have a way you want the team to play, and you train for that, and you build a squad around a player like Pogba. When the player is gone for an expended, extended period of time, mm-hmm. there comes a point where you have to say, you know what, we've got to move on without him. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think we're seeing a lot of that. But, you know, I also think, uh, Phil, uh, certainly you and, and no doubt me uh, have been maybe prone to a little overreaction uh, in terms of some of United's results this season yeah. and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the helm. It, it, it's interesting when you look back, and, and clearly it's been a terrific run of form uh, in the last, uh, what, five matches since the Bournemouth defeat. Uh, it's been unbeaten in five, three wins, two draws, some really good results. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the if the sum total of the season so far, all 16 games... With the exception of that absolutely awful September, October that culminated in the 1 1 uh, draw with Liverpool at Old Trafford, uh, United actually have only lost two games of all the rest of them uh, with uh, what's that, six wins? uh four four draws so it, it was just a really bad blip a run of form that saw them drop uh from what uh, seventh in the table all the way down to to 14th or something like that that really had the panic buttons going but it seems to me that uh this the squad has really stabilized since that draw against liverpool was almost a galvanizing moment
1: well look when you look at the problems at Manchester United. You know, for United fans, you have to look way beyond Solskjaer and the playing squad. The the problems are systemic from top down. And uh, ho- hold
0: that hold that thought because that's going to be the topic for next segment. Yes, okay. absolutely. We've got to talk about the problems with ownership and the boardroom. But
1: <laughs> 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 but but, but where it relates to the playing squad and context is culture and the, the working culture. That exists at Manchester United is not set by Solskjaer, It's set by the people above him. And the irony, of course, is these people talk about they want to change the culture of Old Trafford, when in reality they're the biggest problem. Uh, but you very rarely get context anymore, and social media is responsible for the hyperbole that all football now has reported. The last 90 minutes defends everything. Whether you're the greatest in the world, the goat, if you put in a great performance, you are the best in the world. If you put in a bad performance, you are uh, no longer capable of performing at the highest level. There's no difference anymore. People don't make a difference anymore between a bad player and a bad game and a good player and a good game. Yeah. Um, so this is, of course, social media. Everybody wants to get their voice heard, so everything is sensationalized. And there's very little context. That being said, um, if you just look at the results and look at that and say, well, you ended it on fifth, not a catastrophe. If you looked at the way they performed in a lot of those games, it was extremely concerning. And to me it was criminal negligence for them not to go out and send a midfielder they promised squad overhaul that didn't happen um i don't believe for one minute that any of the world's top football clubs who take themselves seriously as a football club who take um, their objective seriously would not have sent a midfielder this summer once again united fans are concerned that the reasons for that is is parsimony rather than actual plan yeah. and um you know the. We keep seeing United cost-cutting, cost-cutting, cost-cutting. Solskjaer may be the great man. he may not be. But in order to evaluate him or any manager properly, they have to be supported properly. Uh, I, I think Solskjaer's done an exceptional job. The concern that I had with Solskjaer, and I think this is a concern shared by many United fans, is that are we looking at a guy that's just happy to be there or are we looking at a guy that's going to put his foot down and demand that you know support him properly in the transfer market? When you look at some of the soundbites, it's not always the best uh, evidence, you know, it certainly wasn't exculpatory when it comes to saying Ossosko was going to stand up the United board and get the players that he needs. Um, but I think it's really, really important that before you send anybody, Nick, you change the culture of the football club so yeah. that players don't adjust to a toxic culture. They're adjusting to a culture that demands the very best out of them because what we see in United is when players leave, they improve. And when players sign for the club, they start out well and then they, their form starts to dip. So um, I think uh, Solskjaer's right in saying the first thing we have to do is change the culture of the club.
0: All right, I'm talking to Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch, the topic, of course, Manchester United, his uh, uh, beloved Manchester United, and the uh, ups and downs of what has been a uh, very tumultuous uh, season and a half, two seasons at United, in point of fact, it's been very tumultuous at uh, United, obviously, since the legend left. All right, well, we're going to step aside, take a quick break and we'll be right back with more here on Fifth Street Soccer. If you want to find me, by the way, find me on Twitter. I am at Nick Gieber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R, and you can find uh, Phil at Beyond the Pitch. All right, we'll be right back after this. All right, well, there's his song he doesn't know it yet but that's his theme song phil brown from beyond the pitch uh, rejoins me here on mystery soccer phil thanks for sticking around uh, look before the break we were talking united uh, and and you started to touch on and i and i halted you because i wanted to give this topic the time that it really needs some of the systemic mm-hmm. culture problems at the club and of course it goes all the way up through the boardroom to ownership To the Glazer family, I know you are and always have been a very big critic of the Glazer family. But let's start with some of the systemic culture issues at the club. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Do you want to know what the issues are? Yeah,
0: yeah. Tell our listeners exactly from a United supporter, a a guy that's that's, uh, that's, uh, bred and bled United his whole life. Tell our listeners what those issues are.
1: Look, um, it's a business that happens to play football, and that is in, that's in the wrong way around. Uh, everything at United is geared towards um, branding. It's geared towards profit. For example, if you said to the Glazer family, the highest prize money is for the team that finishes last, that would be United's objective. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so this is a club that is set up for the purpose of profit, and it's fortunately not either uh, has been very talented, very, very talent things in, in interviews that Edward has done, for example, when he done an interview, he's done two interviews in five years, which is not a surprise, uh, and they've both been in the same place, and neither of them have been live, and neither of them have had audio, and they've all been transcripts, which leads me how suspicious about what's actually been said, and edited, and re and all that. Um, when you have owners who themselves have done one interview in fifteen years, which was with the club TV channel. Who in that interview said it was imperative they communicated with the fans. They've never done that. You know, when you have owners that don't communicate with the fans, it's usually because it's something to the head. Uh, owners that have things to crow and brag about will communicate with fans because there's they capitalise and they sell fan equity to sponsors. Um, <clears throat> so. The fact that they won't do interviews tells you everything you need to know. It tells you the contempt they have for the fans. It tells you the contempt they have for the football club, it's culture and everything else. So when you look at the risks you need to take on the football side, for example Sosker himself I want you to imagine that on the business side. I want you to imagine you needed going out and getting an executive vice chairman like Edward Word. And taking a risk on somebody without having a bulletproof resume, without having been the leader of his field and doing credible research, United would never take that risk on the business side, never. They would never allow David Beckham to come in and run the financial side of the football club because they value the results too much. So when you're having a businessman and an investment banker run the football side, it tells you how much they value it. Uh, and Edward was is an extremely nice guy an extremely intelligent guy, but he knows nothing about football. And what you can't have at a football club or any business for that matter, if your boss is impotent and can't fire you, you don't respect your boss. Uh, so when you have a situation that in United where Edward, by his own admission, has said, sometimes I have to say no to a manager, that's fine. You, you can say no to players coming in because it doesn't fit with the budget, but what you can't do is say no to players going out. Because once you do that to a manager and you say to a manager, you can't get rid of this guy, like they did with Mourinho, then that manager says, you may as well sack him, that right there on the spot, because players are going to disrespect him. It's exactly what happened with Paul Pogba. Uh, You've got Edward, on record saying, contracts are renewed because they don't want to increase the churn, which is just another way of saying, look, you get contracts that you need, not based on your performance, not based on reward for performance, you get contracts United based on the fact that you have resale value and we don't want to sell you for free. And we'd rather keep you than sell you because the money you generate from being sold will not be enough to buy a replacement. So, therefore, it's cheaper to keep you. That's why you have players like Phil Jones at that football club 10 years who, who, who should have been sold five, six years ago. This is why you have so many underperforming players still getting contract and reels. Andres Pereira, who clearly is not good enough for, for anyone in the Premier League gets a new contract, truly unbelievable um there's no they, they they don't behave like a football club they don't reward you based on your performance they reward you based on whether you have value or not that's a business that happens to play football and that is responsible for the imbalance in united and how they pursue everything the the culture it, you know solskjær says he wants to do a cultural reboot i completely understand what he's talking about but the problem is <clears throat> And to quote Richard Arnold, when Manchester United have, say they have 18 players in the first-team squad, they're 18 George Clooney's because they turn them into brands. Mm. So are you surprised that these people act individually selfish by uploading stupid videos to social media to promote their brands? Mm. Romelu Lukaku uh, uploads an aftershave commercial the day after United lose at home to Cardiff. Truly unbelievable. But it's a real personification of the problems at the club. Why wouldn't they, this is exactly what you need want them to do. This is, but, but the, this is, this is, this is the systemic problems with the football club. So the the, 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 from the top down, you've got people making decisions on the football side that have no business making decisions. They claimed that there's a, uh, and in, in the interview with United, we stand, um, that there's a board of football experts that make decisions on those players, on play, on player recruitment. Nobody has any idea who these experts are. Nobody has any idea who any of them are. You'd, you'd like to believe if there's a, a board of experts, you would actually tell us, give us a clue who's on that board. That'd be interesting to know. So uh, when goes. The ultimate veto power lies with a man who knows nothing about football. This is like me being put in charge of a basketball team and deciding who to recruit above someone like Phil Jackson. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And and this is why you have the problem. That's the cultural problem at United.
0: So, I mean, look, I mean, Glazers, ownership, they are certainly absentee owners in in, in the eyes of the fans. I mean, they're not absentee owners, obviously, in terms of the way the club runs because they have their priorities. It's profit. It's debt service. It's putting money in the Glazers' pockets. I mean, and and you can make uh, as 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 a listener and somebody that's objective here. You you can make a value judgment as to whether the owner of the team has the right uh, to take that approach. I mean, it's it's terrible from a fan's perspective, and of course, uh, you know, if you follow uh, if you follow the game. Outside of the United States, you will understand that most of the, the almost all of these clubs have a very long and storied history that will long outlive the Glazers and the Glazer family. Uh, and so, there's a lot more to it to the fans and to the people and to the community than just whether the Glazers are making profits. Now, for the owner, of course, uh, that is what he is looking at. He is not a shepherd of the team, he is not a steward of of Manchester United he is a shepherd of his business and he's steward of his profits and and I think that really makes a a lousy ownership situation and again Phil we can look uh, you can look across to your most hated and my most beloved Liverpool uh, where you know we you have probably some of the the worst aspects of American ownership and I think that Liverpool have probably the best aspects of American ownership with Fenway Sports Group
1: sure Family Sports Group do a fantastic job. Uh, prior to that, of course, the Hicks and Delight ownership was, was awful. Staff, look, it depends what what the football club means to you. If you're someone that has no emotional attachment to the club, never has had, you can look at it from a pragmatic point of view and say, hey, it was genius from the Blazers. But Manchester United, 2005, uh, a, a 112, 15-year-old institution yep. that has had no debt, uh, all of a sudden gets 700 million pounds worth of debt loaded onto its books for the privilege of being owned by the Glazers, who then run the football club as their own personal ATM, um, who then sell their best players and, and have now presided over the last seven years of utter catastrophe due to what I said, parcel money. The money that they're taking out, they've taken over a billion out of this club. You know fans, all for the privilege of being owned by people, and they were the only people that wanted them. If no one else wanted them, so we've a right to be upset about that.
0: Right? No, no, absolutely. By the way, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you. I'm no, just, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah uh, but would, but I will yeah. say this: it's interesting because yeah. you mentioned it, because really, that eight years between 2005 and 2013, a lot of these problems were were glossed over and were hidden yeah. because of the fact that you had Sir Alex Ferguson, who was right. able to abs to to instill his iron will and his culture on top of these problems right. that were bubbling underneath once he leaves you have mm-hmm. a terrible situation where you have ownership that's leveraged the team with enormous quantities of debt yeah. plus now you have a situation where you have essentially the guy who for all intents and purposes i mean much like arson wenger you know alex Ferguson's stamp is from was from every aspect of that team from the players to the training to who was signed to, as Arsene Mm -hmm. Wenger uh, dictated at Arsenal, what the emblem was on the plates in the cafeteria. I mean, uh, these guys were the people in charge. And when they leave, especially a legend, uh, and and again, I'm going to go out and say I've had the privilege of meeting Alex Ferguson on a number of occasions, Uh, Mm -hmm. a more charming man I have uh, yet to meet, to be fair. Uh, and uh, uh, an absolutely incredible man. A- and when you move somebody like that out of an organization, they become uh, an impossible shoes to fill. Uh, and you can see it in the, in the uh, seven years, six years since his departure. United have had what five managers they've had a, a couple an interim and in gigs but they have Moyes Giggs has been mm-hmm. at the hell van Hall, Mourinho mm-hmm. uh, OGS mm-hmm. uh, it's been a, a really difficult time finding that stability because i believe ownership that never makes it seem like they're there for the long haul, that they care about United 15 years from now. I don't think ownership thinks they'll be there 15 years from now. All right, look, we have to go to break. I want to pick up this discussion on the other side. I'm talking to Phil Brown. Great discussion about Man United, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's lay it all out there. There are all three of those with Manchester United. There is no doubt about it. I will be right back after this. If you'd like to find Phil, by the way, on Twitter, you can find him at Beyond the Pitch, Uh, a great Twitter account. His podcasts are fantastic. And uh, if you're a United supporter uh, or have an interest in the Premier League, uh, you would do do, uh, yourself uh, a good service and uh, follow Phil and subscribe to his podcast. All right, I'll be right back. Sometimes I try to do things and it just don't turn out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. And it's like I take my time and I try real hard. Support, what that song institutionalized uh may very well uh sum up your feelings uh for United the last few years. It's been a topsy turvy roller coaster ride. Uh, uh, That is uh, seemingly uh, no end in sight. Well, let's get back to my special guest. We are talking Manchester United Football Club. I'm talking with Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch. You can find him at Beyond the Pitch. Once again, I uh, fully recommend that you follow Phil and follow his podcast. Phil. To a supporter. Mm -hmm. Somebody that is uh, born and bred uh, with this club, and you don't have to be in Manchester or Ireland or or, or in Mm -hmm. London or in Liverpool. Your club is your club. Mm -hmm. It is more than just a business to you. It is family. It becomes family, particularly when you take old story clubs like Manchester United, like Liverpool. I mean, these are clubs that have been around... For you know, well over a hundred plus years, and and if you are if you go to Manchester, these are clubs that are integral parts of the community. I mean, one of the reasons mm-hmm. that we talk about uh, Hillsborough being such a absolutely um, massive event in the history of Liverpool Football Club was the fact mm-hmm. that of the ninety six people that were killed at Hillsborough, uh, so many of them uh, were. And still are their families right there in yeah. Liverpool following the club. You know, that you take that 96 and you go uh, mothers and cousins and and, and and grandparents and aunts. And all of a sudden, these tentacles go right into the community. And that's what a football club means to their community. And, you know, Phil, I've, I know that for you as a United supporter, you can look at watching what's happened to your beloved club is almost akin uh, from a sporting perspective to watching a family member be assaulted.
1: When you talk about what a football club means to someone, um, supporting sports teams makes no logical sense. We all know that. But I was born in Belfast in the 70s, grew up there in the 80s, in the worst type of sectarian violence you can imagine. Manchester United weren't escape for me from that. They were something that belonged to all communities in in the north of Ireland. Uh, It was something that gave me a dream as a child um, to hold on to. It was, and and whatever, for most people, we have things going on in our lives, stress, worry, concern. In football, sport is an escape from that for just a short period of time. And in an era in the 70s and 80s, being a supporter wasn't like it is today today you have to be an accountant today you have to have yeah. you're, you're looking at human rights violations of your owners you're looking at uh you, uh countries buying your football clubs to wash themselves of different types of you know war crimes and everything else i mean take a look at Manchester city's previous owner facts and it's just truly unbelievable what yeah. football fans now have to digest and be aware of uh, and this is not what these clubs were ever intended to be. These, these were social football clubs that belonged to their communities that provided a temporary distraction for men, women, and children at the weekend to escape from the drudgery of their lives. And now they're turned into businesses. And, and what the, the, the cynical aspect of this is, like you just said, lastly, one of the greatest things that people who support teams, whether it's Manchester Liverpool, the New York Yankees, whatever it is, is you pass this on to your children. And and now, as a United fan, I am being deprived of that because I'm being faced with the choice of do I continue to support the Glazer regime at Manchester United by providing them with finances? Or do I take a personal stand and say, no, I'm not doing that because it violates my principles? And that is one of the most, that is one of the things I'm most angry about is that I can't go out and buy my children Manchester United Church because I can't support what they do. Um, and, and and I worry about there's a lot of people being faced with that decision today where football is going to be 20, 30 years from now um, and, and how people will identify with it. So, look, certain things transcend sport, transcend rivalry. When well, Liverpool were bought by Hicks and Gillette and were, 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 were sodomized and run on their ground by these people for the sole purpose of personal profit. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. Um, I think that um, the authorities should do much more to protect clubs from yeah. this type of hostage ownership.
0: Yeah, uh, you, you're right. Well, that, I mean, that's a that's a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, there has to be, mm-hmm. uh, they have to look to try to put in some sort of rules against leveraging, leverage buyouts yeah. and, and debt. And, and that, you know, financial fair play, and uh, we're really kind of getting off on a tangent here, but the one thing that financial fair play doesn't take into account any account yeah. is debt loading. It's purely yeah. turnover so uh, you could you could borrow a gazillion pounds to buy the best players on the planet but that's still not going to count against you because it's not an expense right i mean it's you know it's money that you've borrowed versus uh, money that you've made it, it, financial fair play needs to be completely rehashed they need to look but, at the ownership structures of these teams uh, and i think then you're going to see a, a real shakeout but look let's let's get back to it for a minute yeah. let's get back to the pitch here i have uh, First of all, let's talk about Pogba. You know, he's going to come mm-hmm. back here shortly. Uh, I can't believe he's still injured. I have to think that he's, uh, you know, that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiating. Clearly, he wants to go in January. I don't see any way he goes in January at this point because I think the value United would get for him uh, would, would surprisingly enough, even for a January transfer, uh, not be where it should be. He's going to need to play up and put himself on that shop window. We see this with, with a fair number of players, actually, right now that are sort of want away, not just with United. Uh, uh, Zaha, for example, another great example of Palace. I mean... You know, you want to get the the huge money that Palace will accept. You're going to have to show why you're a world beater. I think Pogba's value has really diminished of late. I think it's, you know, the family involvement in his business affairs. I think it's his lack of influence on the pitch, his injury record. Uh, it, you know, it's not helping his value. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pogba comes back and tears it up. What do you think?
1: This is exactly the situation Paul Pogba finds himself in. His stock has not been lower than what it is today. Uh, in the last five years, uh, the, the, the pop would demanded to leave in the summer. This was always his plan. I know his representatives quite well, and the plan was always three years. united, move on. You never really wanted to come back to Manchester United, but now you need to have him where they want them because Paul was in a, a situation where you're not going anywhere in January because no one's risking the money that Paul Pop was going to demand. Um, Real Madrid or need to sell £172 million worth of players to comply with the FFP. They're not buying him in January. Barcelona not buying him in January. So he's got nowhere to go. His only option is to knuckle down and get, put in a good sticks monster remind everybody why he is a world-class footballer. And if he doesn't do that, then he, he has no right to yeah. ask and go to any top club. So his only the, uh, like, he, he, he the only thing Paul Popov can do is knuckle down at the club he's at. And put in top performances to remain players. People, why he is a world class footballer, which he is, but he needs to show certain things. If you want to be a hundred million pound plus, you need to be consistent. You need to influence games. You need to you need you need to be able to carry a team. You need to be able to decide games. These are things Paul Pogba has to prove in the next six months.
0: Yep, we'll have to see. I think he is going to hit the pitch, and I think he's going to hit it with a with, certainly with. Uh a different level of intensity because uh, because of his want away. Look, I mean, you have a uh, uh, let's take a look at the United schedule coming up. I think your next match is at Goodison Park against Everton. Uh, Of course, Everton are a disaster of their own making. I might add Uh, sticking with Marco Silva far too long. Uh, A surprise change that I think nobody was all that surprised about. Uh, You you have to like uh, you have to like. The chance is there, but away United have been sometimes um, a little bit questionable. And coming up against a club with a with a um, with a new manager, I would remind you, unfortunately, Everton did beat United four 0 last time they met at Goodison. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see this match?
1: Well, it's actually at Old Trafford. So. Oh, it is at Old Trafford. <laughs> oh, I, I, my, my apologies. This is at well, Old Trafford, right. of course. Yeah. United um, have a run of games where uh, they're very winnable. And this, like we said, we started this show by talking about the, the, you know, the football clubs bipolar. So it's very, very difficult to pin an identity on Manchester United because the, there was zero evidence to, a week ago that they were capable of beating Spurs and Man City, and they went and done mm. it. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went out and lost Everton. They've as Az, Azad Alkmaar tomorrow, and a relatively somewhat important game because if they don't win it, they don't win the group. they right. the, uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll play a lot of their younger players against azad Alkmaar. They'll rest Rashford and. Daniel James, some of those players. But um, if you have any ambition to finish in top four, they have to beat Everton. If they yeah. can go on a run they can win the next three or four games, then the complexion completely changes when recruiting in January. Because just a week ago, you're saying, who would come to United? On, and the only reason why you would come there is because you're going to pay more money. It um, certainly wouldn't be for football reasons. But Manchester is such a juggernaut that once they start going in the right direction and you start getting people believing in what's, that that football club's capable of competing, players will want to go there and they absolutely must recruit in January. The squad's yeah. waiting for them.
0: Well, we're going to do another show, Phil. We're going to talk about uh, what you predict they're going to do on January. We can do a segment on that. it be fascinating and stuff. Uh, look, uh, just before we move quickly to boxing here, because I know you're a big boxing fan, as yep. am I, I'm just going to tell you, I predict United, and this is kind of going out on a limb here, I think United are going to finish top four this season. Uh, I, you know, I look at Chelsea, oh, Frank Lampard, I think he's doing a great job, but they're showing a lot of inconsistency. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, you string together some good runs. I could definitely see United finishing top four, make for a very exciting uh, Premier League Finish, of course, we are only 16 games into a 38 game season, so uh, good stuff. All right, well, Phil, let's talk boxing for a minute. Uh, Anthony Joshua defeating uh Ruiz, in uh, uh, you know, tactically, Ruiz got that fight all wrong, or was it Joshua Mm -hmm. finally using that long jab?
1: Look, when you look at how he lost the first fate. Uh, they would have been totally reckless for Anthony Joshua to do anything other than what he did. Yeah. For uh, Anthony Joshua showed something that I wasn't sure he could do—that he could remain disciplined, box on the outside, use his reach, and and not let Andy Ruiz have a puncher's chance by getting in close. I know a lot of people who don't watch boxing are annoyed at Anthony Joshua, but if Anthony Joshua starts taking risks in that fight, round the seventh, eighth, ninth round because he's so comfortable and gets knocked out, he gets absolutely slaughtered for being stupid.
0: His career's so, over.
1: Yes, exactly. People were saying that if he loses, the squares over. he yeah. he he boxed with discipline. Tyson Fury's done it. Tyson Fury did it with Kletchko. Tyson Fury did it with 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 Deontay Wilder. So so, what's wrong with Anthony Joshua doing it? No,
0: I thought I thought he I thought he boxed a perfect fight. I mean, I think that's exactly yeah. right. He 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 did not let Ruiz's strengths where Ruiz is stronger than him with a bigger with a bigger punch. Uh, he didn't let him come inside because uh, Ruiz didn't have the reach. Joshua did. He kept him. He kept him out of range, and and won. What was a very fair fight, you have to say, uh, in all uh, on all levels. Uh, great stuff. Uh, let's talk about the heavyweight division for a second. We just got a minute or two. Uh, so, mm-hmm. who's uh, fighting AJ next, and uh, how do you see Deontay mm-hmm. Wilder uh, fitting into this uh, t- into this chemistry
1: here? Well, Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua would worry me if I was Anthony Joshua. I mean, he has a tendency to eat right hands, and that's Deontay Wilder's biggest punch. Um, Deontay Wilder has the power to uh, beat any heavyweight. Uh, he showed against Luis Ortiz. He's capable of handling a boxer twice, too. Yep. That was a very risky fight for him to take both times. Luis Ortiz is a very, very good fighter, technically. So Deontay Wilder's earned that. He's taken a lot of criticism throughout his career for not being a technically sound boxer. But um he he's he, he's earned the right to be called uh the heavyweight champion of the world, the WBC heavyweight champion of the world. I think uh I was at the Taste Fury fight in Staples Center. I wish it had happened again this year rather than the delay. I think we're looking forward to that fight in February. Um you could go either way because the Auntie Wilder has the power to equalize anybody. But um I think uh you know, when when I look at those heavyweights, I think um it's good to see the heavyweight division come alive again after being in a slumber for yeah. so long with, with quality fighters. All
0: right, Phil. We're, unfortunately, we are out of time, Phil. We're going to have to put some time aside to talk more United, more boxing, hey, uh, down great down stuff. And isn't it great, yeah, to see the heavyweight division finally be the, uh, the glory division again uh, is great stuff. Phil Brown, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And once again, hey, you, can on found, you can find Phil at uh, Beyond the Pitch. I'm going to step aside and be right back to wrap it up.
1: All right, welcome back. History Soccer, Nick Geber.
0: Find me on Twitter, at Nick and I C K want to thank Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch coming on, talking about uh, – A matter near and dear to his heart, of course, Manchester United, the discussion. So many issues. And it doesn't matter if you're a United supporter or a Liverpool supporter or a Chelsea supporter or you support the Knicks or the Yankees or the Braves or whoever it is. Your club is your club. And what goes on with your club is passion. It's love. It's almost like it's like having a family member. Of course, you can be the casual viewer, the casual watcher, but if you really are a dyed, true blue, deep supporter of your club, that's what it's like. And when your family member is sick, when your family member has a disease, an illness, you take it deeply to heart. And of course, everybody has their opinions about which way it should go. Certainly you can't look at the Glazers' tenure of United and say that it has been without its massive issues. Yes, you can look at the trophy hall, which has certainly diminished since 2013, but that's to be expected. Anytime you lose a club legend, somebody like Alex Ferguson. But you have to look at the cancer and the rot that is uh, now finding its way down through the club because of the debt-loading of the club, because the club is not able to make the reinvestments that it needs. This has been the problem at United. This is what the supporters are about and are mad about. And, you know, I have to think that if the club were on a decent financial footing, with clear of debt as it was, uh, they would care less that the Glazers maybe weren't front and center and talking to the fans and all of this. I, I think the concerns that United supporters have are genuine, valid legitimate concerns. And I think the long term health of their club is in question financially we're talking about. All right. uh, It's been a great show. I will be back tomorrow. Be sure to tune in 6pm Pacific 9 Eastern. Don't forget coming up, we'll be doing our full Premier League preview and betting tips. So be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, uh, have a great night and uh, enjoy the football.